0: Joshua chapter 2, and reading at verse 1. This is an important chapter. It really is gripping to see the grace of God in operation. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shetim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they become to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass, about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, but you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now back to the rooftop, in verse eight. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. She said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed, as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, Ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token which you wanted to be sure, you see. Verse thirteen that you will see of alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the man answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, (coughs) and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned. And afterward, may ye go your way. Praise the Lord for the reading and preaching of His Word this hour for His name's sake. I'm going to ask
1: you please again to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. And we'll be going back and forward a little bit to chapter 6 as well. As we think tonight about another great conversion in the Old Testament. Tonight is the conversion of Rahab. And let's pray together and invite the Lord to really challenge our hearts and speak to us, those of us that are saved, that God will give us vision and burden for a lost world and to spread the gospel and to share the truth of the cross with a world that is needy. And if you're not a Christian tonight, that the Lord will challenge your heart and that you too might enter into the wonderful blessing of Sins Forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank Thee, O God, for another Lord's Day evening. We thank Thee, Lord, for a time of praise and worship. We thank Thee, Lord, for fellowship with Thy people. We thank Thee, Lord, for the season of prayer even before this meeting commenced. We thank Thee, Lord, for the reading of Thy Word, and we pray that now as we open the Bible together, that the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, will illuminate the Scriptures to your eyes, open our understanding, and open most of all our hearts to receive of Thy fullness and to respond to whatever the Lord would say to us tonight. Remember especially, O God, those who are not yet converted— Bring them, Lord, by thy grace, to the foot of the cross. And may they too enter into newness of life. I pray for help. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hide me behind the cross. Glorify and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name and for thy glory that we pray. Amen. The grace of God in a person's life is a remarkable thing. And the grace of God in conversion is certainly a wonderful thing. And so many people are familiar with something of the story of John Newton, the hymn writer, who wrote the words of the hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton left home as a young man and tragically entered into the slave trade, became a deserter, and ultimately became a slave himself escaped from that and then became an investor in the slave trade, a diabolical trade, if ever there was one. And then one night off the coast of Donegal, he was caught in a storm. He feared for his life. He began to pray and to cry unto God for mercy and for deliverance. And that storm was the beginning of a remarkable change that John Newton was soon to experience. God was merciful, preserved his life. He began to read the Bible. He began to read evangelical literature. And within four weeks of that night, whenever he first prayed and cried to God for mercy, the Spirit of God enabled him to embrace the evangelical faith and to put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. If you were to visit John Newton's grave in Olney, England, You would read these words on his headstone. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, pardoned, restored, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. And of course, he went on to write the words, Amazing Grace. It was his testimony, him. And any person that is ever saved is only and only saved by grace. And the grace of God is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is seen in the lives of many individuals in Scripture and very remarkably in the life of Rahab that we read about in Joshua 2 and then again in Joshua 6. And she's mentioned other places in Scripture as well. For example, Hebrews chapter 11. And so often, whenever you read about Rahab, she is referred to as Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. And the grace of God did in her life some wonderful things. It's remarkable whenever you go to Hebrews 11, Faith's Hall of Fame. And you read about men like Abraham and Moses and some of the great men of faith and women of faith in the Old Testament. That Rahab's name is mentioned in Faith's Hall of Fame. Her name is also mentioned in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. We have the great genealogy that leads us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And right there in the middle of it all, you've got the name of Rahab. And that would indicate to us that Rahab, after she was converted, she settled down, she got married, she raised a family, and she had truly entered into newness of life. Every Old Testament conversion and every New Testament conversion and every conversion ever since has been by faith. By faith, the Bible says, Hebrews eleven thirty-one. 31, by faith. The harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. So that's another way of saying, by faith, the harlot Rahab did believe. And by faith, the harlot Rahab was delivered that she should not perish after she had received the spies with peace. I want to speak for a little while tonight upon this, another Old Testament conversion, the conversion of the harlot Rahab. And I want you to consider, first of all, that her conversion was a distinct requirement. Rahab needed to be converted. She's just like every one of us. We're not singling out Rahab and saying, well, here was a woman given her lifestyle, and she needed to be converted because of her lifestyle, and anybody else who was living a a moral life, a decent life, a religious life, a respectable life, Well, they didn't need to be converted. We're not saying that at all. Because the Word of God makes it clear that every single human being, if we are to enter into the joy of forgiveness and salvation, to receive eternal life, to be brought into the family of God, and one day to find ourselves in heaven, we all need to be converted. And therefore Rahab was was no different. Jesus Christ our Lord said... "...except ye be converted, and become as little children, childlike faith, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven." Now you'll notice that Rahab came from Jericho. That was the city that she was in. Chapter 2 of Joshua, verse number 1, "...Joshua the son of Nun sent out to Shittim to men to spy secretly, saying, Go and view the land, even Jericho." And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. That was the city that Rahab was in, the great city of Jericho, a large city, a fortified city, a walled city. Some people called it the moon city because the moon god was worshipped in Jericho. It was one of the oldest cities of the ancient east and it was also a haven of idolatry. The true God of Israel, Jehovah, the God of heaven, the eternal God, was not recognized or worshipped in Jericho really at all. It was like the city of Athens that Paul saw, a city wholly given over to idolatry. No regard for the Word of God. No regard for the law of God for the Ten Commandments. No regard for... God at all. No regard for God himself. And as we look at Britain today and we look at the West, it's faster becoming a lot like Jericho. Secular. Getting away from the word of God. Entering into all sorts of new age philosophies and false religion. And that's where Rahab lived. Chapter 6. And verse number 17 of the book of Joshua says, The city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that she sent. So Jericho was a city that was condemned. The city that she was in, a city that was lost, a city... That was condemned. you know our young people need so much prayer in these days? And if you're a Christian tonight and you're in praying ground, can I encourage you to pray for this generation that's growing up in this present evil world? Young people now in their teens and even their early 20s and even before that, primary school children now are being exposed to things that you or I were never exposed to. At that tender age. And there's so many temptations in this world. So many pitfalls and so many snares. And young people need our prayers. Given the age that we're living in. Not only the city that she was in. But consider the career that she was in. It says in verse 1 of Joshua 2. That they went and came into a harlot's house. And the harlot was named Rahab and they lodged there. Just to put it very simply, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a harlot. Now, many modern theologians and Bible commentators have tried to downplay the type of life that Rahab was living before she was converted. They have the idea that, that if she was a real harlot, a true prostitute, and it was a prolonged lifestyle that That it would be unbecoming of Scripture and out of keeping with, with decency and morality that her name would be recorded in that genealogy in Matthew. And many have tried to downplay and dilute or deny that Rahab really was involved in this awful career. But, dear friends, tonight it simply shows us the greatness of God's grace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 said, Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Even the Apostle Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. How that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You know, it's very easy for some of us perhaps to look at someone like Rahab and think, well, I haven't done the things that they have done. But you know, I believe there are greater sins than the sins that Rahab was guilty of. Did you ever look at the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and note that the sins that he seemed to rebuke more than other sins were the sins of pride and the sins of unbelief and the sins of indifference and the sins of hypocrisy? And the people that the Lord exposed more than anybody else because of their sins were not adulterers or fornicators or harlots or prostitutes or tax collectors. So often he highlighted the sins in the religious establishment more than anybody else because of their pride, because of their self-righteousness, because of their hypocrisy. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, however, once said, Jesus Christ will save the devil's castaways. And I suppose there would be many that would look at someone like Rahab and say, she is too far gone down that road to be redeemed and rescued. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, specializes in changing hearts, and changing lives, and changing homes. The city that she was in. The career that she was in. Maybe today, tonight in this meeting, you're in a situation. You're in a place. You're in a lifestyle and you wonder, can God really save me? Can I really be converted? Could God really love a sinner like me? Yes, He can. A thousand times over, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Then we could think as well, not just about the city that she was in and the career that she was in, but the carnality that she was in. Rahab had embraced the life of sin and sensuality, selling her very body to lustful men. And friends, we too are living in an age of carnality. We are living in a generation of sexual immorality, prostitution, fornication, And adultery and homosexuality and all of these things are very, very prevalent in our society. We are living in a carnal day and generation. But we must always remember these hearts of ours what they really are. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can can know it? Nobody really knows their own hearts at all. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. God knows what's in the heart of man. Jesus Christ, our Lord, says it's out of the heart that proceed murderers and adulteries and evil thoughts and all of these things that come out of the, out of the heart. Those are the things that defile a man. Whenever we read the parable of the sower, the Lord seems to indicate there in Matthew 13 or Mark 4, whatever account you read off it, that the human heart Is like soil. The Word of God is like seed. Some hearts are hard, some hearts are thorny, some hearts are stony, and some hearts are well prepared to receive the seed of God's Word. But there are other types of seeds that can be sown in the human heart. And if that seed takes root in the heart, and that seed is nurtured, and that seed is watered, and that seed germinates, and that seed begins to take root, and that seed begins to grow in the heart, it might be all that long before the shoots of that seed, and that seed sin are seen coming out of the life, and growing and developing, and unless they're cut down, it can take over the life completely. So none of us tonight are in a position to say that there's not a sin that we are incapable of committing. I think it was Alan Redpath, the great Keswick speaker who ministered in Moody Memorial Church, Chicago for many years, said at the end of one of his great meetings that there's not one sin that I am incapable of committing five minutes after this meeting is over. He knew something of his heart that we are prone to wander And we are prone even as believers to leave the God we love. Then notice something else about why her conversion was a distinct requirement. Not just because of the city that she was in, and the career that she was in, and the carnality that she was in, but also the condemnation that she was under. Nationally, Jericho was condemned. We read that a little bit earlier in chapter 6 of Joshua, and verse 17, condemned because of its sin and its idolatry and its iniquity. And this old world of ours is like Jericho. It's condemned. It's lost. I wonder if God looks down from heaven tonight and sees this world of ours, what He really thinks. Is it really any different from the generation that Noah lived in? And we read back there in Genesis 6 that God saw. He's all-seeing, He's all-knowing. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. For every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that not show us the all-knowing and all-seeing eye of God? That he knew that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And so God says, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to call Noah, a man who's found grace in my eyes, to build an ark to the saving of his house. Going to make sure that he preaches righteousness until the floods come. And Noah was faithful preaching. And the world at that time, the inhabitants were destroyed because he didn't turn to God. And Jesus Christ our Lord said in Matthew 24 that as it was in the days of Noah... So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Nationally, Jericho was condemned. But personally, unless grace stepped in, unless faith was exercised, Rahab would be condemned personally on account of her own sin and her life without God. Sometimes we take comfort in being in the crowd and being in the majority. But Rahab came to learn that not only was her city condemned, but she personally was under condemnation because of her sin. You know, sin ever brings us under the wrath and the judgment and the condemnation of Almighty God. Some people have the idea that whenever they someday stand before the Almighty, that on that day God is going to make a decision And the books will be opened and God will correlate the evidence. And God then will make a decision whether they enter into heaven or go down into a lost eternity in hell. But Jesus Christ our Lord said in John chapter 3, He that believeth not is condemned already, presently, right now. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And your sin and your unbelief tonight is the thing that's condemning you. And if you've never been converted, you're condemned personally, and you're condemned presently, and you're condemned potentially, unless you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Rahab's conversion was a distinct requirement. And I want you to understand tonight in the authority of the Bible that your conversion is a distinct requirement. You need to be saved. You need to be converted. You need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. You need to be redeemed and saved and forgiven and brought into the family and fold of God. Her conversion was a distinctness, a requirement. Secondly, her conversion was a direct response. Her conversion was a direct response. Now Jonah says in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 9, Salvation is of the Lord, and it is. From beginning to end, from center to circumference, God's salvation is all of God and all of grace. But we also need to understand that nobody is passive in their conversion. Conversion is an active thing. A person, whenever they're converted, they are active in their conversion. Conversion. They don't just get zapped and somehow find themselves all of a sudden a Christian. There are certain things that the grace of God initiates in a person's life. And in conversion, a person is active, a person is responsive. And whenever we trace the life and the circumstances of Rahab, you see that her conversion was a direct response to certain things. We might say that her conversion was... A direct response to the providence of God. Rahab responded to the providence of God. In Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, Joshua. And Joshua really means salvation is of the Lord. Jehovah is Savior. It's the Old Testament parallel to the title Jesus that we read so often in the New Testament, the name that was given to our Lord. Joshua, the Savior. The son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go and view the land, even Jericho. And these two spies make their way towards Jericho, and it says that they lodged in the house of Rahab the harlot. Now that was not because they were immoral. That was not because they wanted to avail themselves of the services that she was offering. But they went in, I believe, to Rahab's house to avoid suspicion. People looking on might see two men entering into Jericho and looking all around them and, and asking questions with strange dialects. And people that were not known in the city of Jericho it might arouse suspicion that these are spies, enemy spies coming in. But entering into a place like Rahab's house wouldn't arouse all that much suspicion. They've just come on their way through and they're entering into the house of the harlot. And we read that she received them with peace. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 31. Joshua 2 verse 4 says the men came in and it says that she hid them. She discovered who they were. We read further on that these men were messengers. I believe they shared the gospel with her. And she received these spies and she began to realize who these men were. And she began to realize why they were there, not to take advantage of her, but they were there to spy out the land. And surely Rahab is discovering now these men are men whose faith is in Jehovah. And here they are in my home. Directed by Joshua, this great military leader and general, this great deliverer, this great savior. And the providence of God is unfolding in the life of Rahab. And maybe she's beginning to wonder, does God have a plan and purpose for me? And it may be tonight that you can trace somehow, in a small way, because we can never fully understand it or do it, but in a small way, the providence of God in your life the family that you were born into, the parents that God gave you, the peers that God put around you, the places that God led you, the pew that you sit in tonight, the preaching that you sit under, the prayers that have gone up for you, and you could have been like millions of other people in the world and never brought under the influence of Christianity, but the providence of God has brought you here tonight. And I believe that Rahab responded to the providence of God. Furthermore, I believe that Rahab responded to the preaching of the gospel. It says in Joshua chapter 2 verse number 9, She said unto the I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Isn't that a remarkable thing for someone like Rahab to say? I know that the Lord Jehovah has given you the land. Not just to the spies explicitly, but to the children of Israel. She knew this land and this city, it's God's land, it's the Lord's land, and God is giving it now to the children of Israel. And she knew that. How did she know that? She also knew, it says in verse 9, that terror is fallen upon us because of the inhabitants of the land that faint because of you. God has given you the land. And terror is fallen upon us. How did she know it? Because it says in verse 10, For we have heard. Someone had told her that the land was the Lord's. Someone had told her that Jericho was condemned. Verse 10 as well, someone had told her that the Lord had dried up the water of the Red Sea. And then in verse number 11, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts didn't melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And it seems that Rahab has heard a lot of the preaching of the good news. Good news for God's people. Bad news for those who do not belong yet to the Lord. And yet she listened to the promises of God. She heard about the purposes of God. She learned about the power of God. And she says her heart's melted. Now there's different ways of looking at that, isn't there? It might indicate that their hearts feel them for fear. And I'm sure that was the case for the majority of people that heard this message. But I believe Rahab's heart melted in a different way. Her heart was softened. She was melted. Her heart became soft and her heart became tender. And so many of you tonight have listened to the preaching of the Word of God. What are you doing with it? Has your heart ever been melted? Have you ever realized that God has a plan and a purpose for your life? And that God is sovereign and God is in control. And that you're under the judgment of God and you need Christ, you need a Savior. It says in Joshua 6.25 that these two men are described as being messengers. I believe that yes, they were messengers that were going to bring a message back to Joshua. But I believe that long before they carried that message back from Jericho... They were coming as God would give them opportunity to bring a message of hope to people like Rahab. It seems impossible to me that these two men would sit in her home and not share some good news with her. She responded to the providence of God. She responded to the preaching of the gospel. She responded to the power of grace. Rahab responded to the truth in faith. We read that earlier, didn't we, in chapter 11, verse 31 of the book of Hebrews. By faith Rahab perished not with them that believed not. She responded in faith. And in faith she received the grace of God's salvation. We're not exactly sure when this happened. We cannot pinpoint how or when it happened, but we know certainly that it must have happened, that it did happen because her life was changed forever. Grace reached her. This Gentile, this harlot, living in sin and in iniquity, God's grace reached her. And God's grace lifted her. And God's grace changed her life forever. Grace is unmerited favor. Is it wonderful tonight that the God of the Bible and the God of heaven is described as being the God of grace? He's gracious. He's loving, He's merciful, He's kind. And people like Rahab and people like Moses and people like Abraham who we have considered already and others who we'll consider God willing into the the months that lie ahead can find grace in Jesus Christ. And you can throw yourself tonight at the Savior's feet and commit and commend yourself to the grace of God and be wonderfully saved and wonderfully delivered. I am sure that maybe some in the meeting tonight have read or listened to the testimony of an American woman by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. She was a woman gifted with a tremendous intellect. She was an academic. She was a university professor. She was also a a practicing lesbian, and she was a gay rights activist. No thought of God at all. And was writing books to promote the whole LGBT agenda. And unknown to her that just down the street from where she lived, there was a reformed Presbyterian minister. And one of his elders had come into the knowledge of this woman living in the locality and writing books and he spoke to the pastor about that, and the pastor invited this woman over to his home for dinner along with his wife. And she thought she would go along for research purposes to find out what these Christians believed that she might, in a sense, undermine their their beliefs in this book that she was intending to write. She said, the amazing thing was, as I went to that pastor's house, he didn't preach to me. He didn't talk about my sins and the one sin that would be glaringly obvious to many Christian people. He never mentioned that. He didn't even invite me to church. Him and his wife just brought me in, my partner, fed me and talked to me like a human being. And over a long course of time, they, they forged, maybe friendship's not the right word, but a relationship. And this pastor, over a period of time, began to talk about sin, not in explicit terms, calling out her sin, but in in general terms, the principle of a world that is lost in sin. And sin is a principle that affects the whole world. And in general terms, he began to speak to her about the problems in this world and where those problems have come from and, and where they, they are rooted in. And it's a, a sin problem that we are separated from God and these hearts of ours are, are going a different direction than the road that God would have us to be on. Still didn't mention her particular sin. And in fact, he highlighted that the greatest sin was the sin of unbelief. Began to share the gospel. Began to bring her to the cross, the love of God. And she began to read the Bible for herself. And some of the people that she was running about with in this great activist movement were getting concerned that she was taking on board some of the things that the preacher was saying, which she certainly was in spite of herself. And after a while she found herself repenting of her sins and her sin and giving her life to Jesus Christ. She was wonderfully converted. Her life was changed. She admits that there was many things that she had to struggle with, but at last she got married to a man who went on himself to become a minister of the gospel and she became a pastor's wife. The grace of God in the life of an individual. We seem to have a very don't know what the word might be, but a very explicit way of categorizing certain people and pigeonholing certain people and categorizing certain sins. But listen, dear friends, tonight the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, that's sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, Anything that you put before God and worship above and beyond Him. Nor adulterers. The Lord Jesus said, if you, commit adulter- if you look at a woman lustful in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Nor effeminate. There's the homosexual. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Sodomy. Nor thieves. Nor covetous. Anybody guilty of the sin of covetousness tonight? Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, But such were some of you, writing to this church at Corinth. Some of you fell into these categories. But ye are washed and ye are sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We think tonight about Rahab. Her conversion was a a distinct requirement, her conversion was a direct response. And in conclusion, her conversion was a definite reality. There are many bogus conversions in the world tonight, but there was nothing bogus or nothing fake about the conversion of Rahab the Harlot. Her conversion was authentic. It was genuine. I knew that tonight because we could certainly say her conversion was costly. Rahab's conversion was costly. Salvation is a free gift. It's without money and it's without price. But for some, it is more costly than others to become a Christian. Her conversion would cost her her career. Her conversion would cost her her popularity. It was costly. I wonder tonight, have you ever costed or counted the cost of discipleship? Jesus Christ our Lord said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Which one of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he hath sufficient to finish it. The Christian life can be costly. But have you ever counted the cost of not being a Christian? It's much more costly. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Rahab had to abandon her false gods. She had to abandon her false ideologies. She had to abandon all of the men that she had known over the years, all of her customers and clients. She had to abandon her old life of sin, and it was costly. Her conversion was costly for her. But her conversion was certainly conveyed by her. The fact that she had become a believer in the God of Israel was very much evident. Because we read in in chapter 2 of Joshua, verse number 18, that she bound a scarlet thread from her house which was built into one of the walls in the city of Jericho. And she let down this scarlet thread. And it was the only house in all of Jericho that had a scarlet thread. Many commentators believe that the scarlet that was used in the high priest's garments and the scarlet was used in some of the intricate details of the tabernacle and this particular scarlet thread may be brought to her house by the two spies. We're not sure. It was dyed by the blood of a worm, a cochineal worm that was crushed and its blood was shed and it became a strong scarlet crimson dye to dye the materials that people use for weaving fabrics. It points us to the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am a worm and new man, and on the cross he was crushed and broken. And from Genesis to Revelation there's a scarlet thread, the, the blood that goes all the way through Scripture. And just as the Lord said to the children of Israel and Egypt, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That scarlet thread was a a symbol to the world around her and to God himself that Rahab was under the blood. And she was risking her very life for what she believed, bringing in these spies and receiving them with peace. Jesus Christ said, By this shall men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have loved one for another. And here were two men that loved her in the Lord, not in a lustful, licentious way. Two real, authentic, genuine men that she could trust for all the right reasons because they were followers of the God of heaven. Her faith was costly. Her faith was conveyed. Her faith was comprehensible in her. It was so easy to see that Rahab was truly converted. James chapter 2 and verse 25 says, was not the harlot Rahab justified by works? What does that mean? She was justified in a legal sense before God by faith. But the faith that she exercised and the conversion that she enjoyed was justified in the sight of men by the life that she was now living. Faith without works is dead. Her faith was justified by the works that she was now forsaking and the other works, the good works, that she was now engaging in. And she perished not, according to Hebrews eleven thirty-one, she perished not with them that believed not. She was saved from the wrath to come. She perished not with them that believed not. You know, that shows us, doesn't it? That those who do not believe will perish. Isn't that what the Lord taught in John 3 and verse number 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was Rahab. What about you tonight? The Word of God says that only Rahab and her household were saved. Very few people in this day and generation seem to be taking up the cross and entering into newness of life. But it's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the right thing. I wonder tonight, will you come and put your faith and trust in the God that delivered Rahab, the God that saved Moses, the God that saved Abraham, the God that saved many people in this meeting tonight. Will you put your trust in Christ and be wonderfully converted?